ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. Let's take God's word and be finding the book of Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter 2. Have you enjoyed being in God's house tonight? I want to say right up front, that I have not been the least bit uncomfortable around here or the least bit embarrassed. I was in a dead condition before the Lord saved me. He brought me out of the graveyard a long time ago and I have... Listen, you can have all this cemetery religion you want. I believe when we go to church, go to worship God. Amen. Now, I did get a little concerned when he come down the aisle with the candles. In fact, I said to Steve, are we about to have mass? I didn't know where we were going for a moment. It makes me think of the fellow. He went off to this meeting. And it was a very formal meeting. He went off to this big church, really. And he was really impressed with all the formality of the service. He, he saw them as they come in. They came down the aisle with their incense pots and they were chanting and they were in their robes and garments and made their way down the front. And he thought, that's what I need to do in my church. That's exactly what we need. So he went back and, of course, it was a little church, a poor church. He couldn't afford anything, so he, a lot of things. And so... He just went out and said, he couldn't afford the incense pot, so he just went out and got him some coffee cans and put him some candles in it. And he got his men together on Sunday morning and they said, now this is what we're going to do today. At a certain point, I will begin to lift my hands and say some things. And he said, I want you to come down the aisle. And as you do, I want you to come down and I want you to chant, the Lord is in his holy temple, blessed be his name. And he said, we'll get down front and we'll, he said, this is what our church needs. So he got those coffee cans and he lift them all and whatever there. And so he raised his hands and began his chanting, The Lord is in his holy temple, blessed be his holy name. And he didn't see the fellas come down the aisle. He said, And I said again, The Lord is in his holy temple, blessed be his holy name. Still no fellas come down the aisle with incense pots. And the Lord is in his holy temple, blessed be his holy name. Finally they come down through the door and he said, What did you do with the incense pots? And they said, we threw them out the window when the bottoms got hot. Amen. <laughs> so you can have all your formality if you want it. No, give me a place like this where folks just rear back and sing. I mean, go to church and have a good time. I appreciate Brother Steve and this church and what the Lord is doing here and his love for missions. And I appreciate what this church does permissions, and I know a little bit about what you do, and I am very, very thankful for you. Dr. Baker, thank you so much for what you do for EMI. You recognized everyone a little while ago. I think we all show our appreciation to Dr. Braxton Baker, the leadership that he has given to, Dr. to EMI. 
I told him over and over again, I, it just thrills me to see what the Lord is doing through evangelism missions, and I am privileged to have just a small part in it. And I'm excited about all the missionaries, the new ones coming on. Some of you had, we had with yesterday, you were with us yesterday, and we enjoyed having you. Dr. Baker mentioned a message that I preached in the camp meeting back Dr. Brother West Church down in McDonald, Georgia some time ago. You might say this has nothing to do with mission. But I will submit unto you, when you talk about Jesus Christ, it has everything to do with mission. Years ago, someone came to Hudson Taylor and said, I want to go to China. And Hudson Taylor said, why do you want to go to China? And they said, because I want to reach the Chinese with the gospel. He said, that's not the right answer. Why do you want to go? Another came, because I have a burden for them. And he asked several questions. And finally said, there is only one motive that will sustain you in China or any other mission field. And that is the love of Christ constraineth me. Jesus is the heart of mission. If you love not him, a burden will not sustain you. And if you're not madly in love with Jesus Christ, you're going to get over your excitement, you're going to lose your zeal, you're going to lose your thrill. That which is the foundation of our worship and that which is the foundation of our zeal and that which is the foundation of our commitment is our love for Christ. And so I just want to just take a few moments and we'll magnify him. Philippians 2, would you stand please as we honor the reading of this word. Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 5. The Bible said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. That in the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you. you. may be seated. Let's pray. And I'll draw your attention to this text. And just simply try just to magnify His name for these next few moments. Our Father tonight in Jesus' name it has already been a blessing to be here. I thank you, Lord, for what you are doing here through this church and through this pastor. I ask that the hand of God continue to rest upon them and that the anointing of God remain fresh upon them week in and week out. We thank you in particular tonight for the work of EMI, Dr. Baker, and for all of those who are a part of EMI and spreading the gospel around the world. What a joy it is and what an honor, yea, what a privilege it is, Lord, Lord, to be able to go into the world and tell others about Jesus Christ. I ask you now tonight as we gather here in this missions conference and this night, I ask you that the blessed Spirit of God would capture our hearts with the Lord Jesus. May we leave tonight loving Him as we have never loved Him before. I pray tonight that you would draw us to Him and I pray that everything about the flesh will be crucified and buried and hidden and may Jesus Christ by the blessed Spirit of God be lifted up and magnified in our eyes and in our hearts and in our ears tonight. Lord Jesus, I pray now that you be glorified. I submit what I have to you as an offering of thanksgiving, and I pray you'll use it now to bring glory to yourself. 
For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask these things. Amen. It was on December the 11th in 1936 that King Edward VII abdicated his throne because of his love for the American divorcee, Wallace Simpson. Because he was king, he was also the head of the Church of England, which prohibited marriage after divorce. And so by being king and by law, he could not marry someone that had been married before. But King, king Edward, adamant that he wished to marry Miss Simpson, again on December 11th, 1936, stepped down from his wrong. In much the same way as we come to the Philippians chapter 2, we read of the Lord Jesus Christ stepping down from his throne. We find in Philippians chapter 2 abdicating his throne because of his love for every one of us in this room tonight. As the songwriter said, down from his glory, ever living story, my God and Savior came and Jesus was his name. Philippians chapter 2 is one of the most thrilling texts in all of the Bible. Roy Lawrence said that it is the greatest, most sublime, and most profound statement of all the Bible. And I'm not so sure that I would disagree with that. Alec Motyer said, as we come to this text, that we tread on the very holy ground indeed. So tonight I want us to take a few minutes to tread upon this holy ground. And I want to point you to one that stepped down from his throne and came down from his glory. In the book of Philippians, I want to point out these things about Jesus Christ. The first one is this. I want you to notice with me the eternal deity of Jesus Christ. The eternal deity of Christ. For as you read the scripture, Philippians chapter 2, Paul begins his magnificent statements about the Lord Jesus by taking us back into eternity. He directs our attention back into history, even further into eternity, and he draws our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, who existed in eternity past. Paul is telling us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ is the eternal one. You notice in verse 6 how he describes our Lord. He said in verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Paul in that statement there speaks of Jesus Christ as being for one thing, essentially God. He speaks about Jesus Christ being in the form of God. And when we use the word form, we often think of some kind of shape. But the word form that is used there is a word that speaks of the very nature of someone or the very essence of someone. When Paul spoke of Jesus Christ being in the form of God, he was speaking of the nature of Jesus Christ or the real essence of the Lord Jesus. Or in short, what Paul was doing and declaring was that Jesus Christ was God. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. And when the angel announced his birth and informed Mary that she would give birth to a son, he made the statement, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Paul said he is essentially God, that he is in the form of God. Now, I know there are those today that would claim and make the accusation that we worship three gods. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And they say one plus one plus one equals three. And my response to that is your math is right, but your theology is wrong. 
But it is not one plus one plus one equals three. It is one times one times one equals one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is essentially God. Not only does he speak about him being essentially God, but he also declares him to be equally God. For he said he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Because Christ is essentially God, he is equally God. Now understand this tonight. It is more than a case of being like God. It is not that Jesus Christ is like God. Understand this, that Jesus Christ is God. God is omnipotent and Jesus is omnipotent. God is all-knowing and Jesus is all-knowing. You see, Christ's equality with God extended to all the essential attributes. He is essentially God. He is equally God. But not only does He declare Him to be essentially God and equally God, but He also declares Him to be eternally God. He said in verse 6 there, being in the form of God. That word being there, that participle being there, literally means under the beginning. And the ideal is a prior existence. When he talks about Jesus Christ being in the form of God, he is simply saying that Jesus Christ has always been the Son of God or the, in the form of God. You see, when he wrote these words, he was already essentially and equally God. You see, he did not begin being God at a certain point in time. No, he was God from eternity past. And the truth of the matter is, he has always been God, and he will always be God. For he is essentially, he is equally, he is eternally God. Now, I don't care what the critics may have to say about it, and I don't care what the liberals may have to say about it, it still don't change anything. He is still essentially, equally, and eternally God. I think about an article that I saw in a newspaper in London a number of years ago that stated more than half of England's Anglican bishops said that Christians are not obliged to believe that Jesus Christ was God. I say tonight, you deny His deity, you damn your own eternity. Because He is God, equally, essentially, and eternally God. So Paul talks about the eternal deity of Jesus Christ. But look at something else that he has to say about Christ. Not only the eternal deity of the Lord Jesus, but he talks about the earthly humanity of the Lord Jesus. But you not only see the Lord Jesus and his deity, but you find in Philippians 2, deity becoming humanity. But notice in verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You have the eternal Son becoming an earthly servant. You have the Lord Jesus in the form of God, assuming upon himself the form of a servant. Now, when you see the earthly humanity of Jesus Christ, you see the likeness that He assumed. You see in Philippians 2 what Jesus took. Paul describes how the Son of God became a Son of Man. He that was in heaven without a heavenly mother came to earth as a son without an earthly father. And the Bible said that He was made in the likeness of men. Likeness there simply referring to something or somewhat of the same character. He became man. He became man that he might be like man and that he might be with man. You might ask the question, why did the Lord Jesus Christ take upon himself the likeness of man? Paul answers that. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
He became like man that he might identify with every one of us hell-deserving sinners tonight. And if Jesus Christ had not robed himself in flesh and become like me in every degree, I would have had no hope whatsoever. A sinless one had to die for us sinful ones. Thus he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We are saved tonight because of his humanity. But there is not only the likeness that he assumed, but in the process of assuming this likeness, there was the life that he abandoned. In the likeness that he assumed, we see an act of identification. He became one with us and one of us. But in the life that he abandoned, we have an act of humiliation. In the likeness that he assumed, we see what he took. He took upon himself a body of flesh. But in the life that he abandoned, we see what he thought. But the Bible said in verse 6 that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You underscore the word robbery there. It is a word that means, it speaks of a treasure to be clutched at and to held at, at, the, uh, held at, at all costs. Like Robert Grimacki said, who did not consider the fact of being equal to God a prize to be selfishly grasped. The very word thought itself looks at a logical time in the past. And when Jesus made a decisive resolution that everything that he had in heaven, and all that he'd enjoyed from eternity past was not something to be held so dear and held on to at all costs. So at a point in eternity he came with this decision, that he would lay aside the form of God and he would take upon himself the form of a servant. Now understand this tonight. Are you with me now? Say amen. He did not empty himself of his divine attributes. He did not empty himself when he became man of his deity. He did not cease to be God. He was fully God and he was fully man. He was as much God as though he were not man at all. But yet he was as much man as though he were not God at all. He was not all God and not and no man. And he was not all man and no God. He was not half God and half man. He became the God-man. And in that act of abandoning himself and saying to himself, he abandoned the glory and the majesty that he'd had with the Father in heaven, even before the worlds began. John 17, he hinted at that when he said, And now I, Father, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I have had with thee before the world was. He talks about the glory in the past, and the glory in the majesty of the past, and all of that he laid aside. He came down from the adorations of heaven to the abominations of earth. He came down from the coronations of heaven to the condemnations of this earth. He came down from the delights of heaven to the defamations of earth. He left the excellencies of heaven and came to the executions of this earth. He came down from the favor of, favor of the Father's face to the fury of man's face. He came down from the glory place to the glory place. He left the hallelujahs of heaven for the hisses of earth. He came down from the majesties of heaven to the miseries of earth. He came down from the nobleness of heaven to the nothingness of earth. He came down from the riches of heaven to the ridicules of earth. He left the songs of heaven to the sneers of earth. And he came down from the virtues of heaven to the vices of earth. Oh, what condescension! What an act of love that God would love us so much that he would talk out of that which he'd known in eternity past and become one of us that he might identify with us and save us from our sins. How 
how in this world can we not get excited once in a while? Sit like that, Presbyterian. Thank God he did come down one day. He came down. The earthly humanity of the Lord Jesus. So there is a third thing that is found in this text. Not only the eternal deity of the Lord Jesus, and the earthly humanity of the Lord Jesus. But there is the exalted identity of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 9. You don't even have to preach these verses. They bless you just reading them. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I read verses 6 through 8, Brother Steve, I want to follow my faith and love him. But I read verses 9 through 11, I want to jump up and take off a running and shout, praise God, he's no longer on a cross, but he's wearing a crown. He is no longer hanging on a tree, but thank God, he's sitting on a throne. He is the exalted one. Notice how Paul describes him. He speaks of him as a worthy one. God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is which is above every name. Underscore those words, highly exalted. They mean to exalt to the highest degree. Exalted a superlative degree. He has not only been exalted, but he has been highly exalted. See, he is the Son of God. He became the Son of Man. Now he has been exalted in the superlative degree. He has been highly exalted as the worthy one. What kind of, what, what, how worthy is it? I think of a statement that is made with the Song of Solomon. So in Solomon chapter 5, verse 10, reflects on how he's highly exalted. He said, my beloved is white and ready, and he's the chiefest among 10,000. He is the chiefest among 10,000, is he? Well, among 10,000 kings, he is the one anointed king, the king of kings. Among 10,000 lords, he is the one lord over all, he is the lord of lords. Among 10,000 leaders, he is the only leader and the commander of his people. Of 10,000 captains in the Lord's host, he is the one captain of our salvation. Among 10,000 conquerors with palms in their hands, he is the one conqueror over sin, hell, death, and he proclaims that I have overcome. Among 10,000 holy ones, he is the holy one of God. Among 10,000 shepherds, he is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, he is the good shepherd. Among 10,000 priests and the God, he is the one high priest consecrated forevermore. Among 10,000 prophets, he is the one prophet of whom Moses wrote. Among 10,000 firstborn in the general assembly, he is the one firstborn of God. Among 10,000 born out of death, he is the firstborn from the dead. Among 10,000 holy creatures, he is the firstborn of every creature. Among 10,000 risen ones, he is the resurrection. Among 10,000 living, he is the life. Among 10,000 names in heaven or earth, he is the one name whereby men must be saved. Among 10,000 brothers, he is a brother that has been born for adversity. 
among 10,000 friends, he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He is the worthy one. Among 10,000 kinsmen, he is a kinsman redeemer the next to kin. Among 10,000 advocates, he is the one advocate with the Father. Among 10,000 judges, he is a judge of righteousness. Among 10,000 physicians, he is a physician of the sick for whom there is no healer. Among 10,000 deliverers, he is the savior of the world. Among 10,000 counselors, he is wonderful. He is counselor. Among 10,000 orators, he is the one who spake as never men spake. Among 10,000 true witnesses, he is the true and the faithful witness. Among 10,000 martyrs, he is the martyr who witnessed a good confession. And by the way, I'm just getting started. Among 10,000 wives, he is the wisdom of God. Among 10,000 joyful souls, he's the one that's been anointed with gladness above his fellow. Among 10,000 stars, he is the sun shining in all of its strength. Among 10,000 trees of righteousness, he is the one true branch. Among 10,000 branches, he is the branch of the Lord. Among 10,000 roses, he is the rose of cherry. Among 10,000 lilies, he's a lily of the valley. Among 10,000 sheep, he's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Among 10,000 children, he's the Father's only begotten and well-beloved Son. He is the chiefest among 10,000. God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. A name literally is a title. It denotes office, rank, or dignity. It is a name we are uncertain about, but yet a name that embraces everything that he is about him and all that he may be. In other words, he's been exalted. He has been exalted as the Alpha and the Omega. Or in our alphabet, he would be the A all the way to the Z. Who is this one that God has given a name above every name? He is Advocate. He is Almighty. He is Anointed. He is Alpha. He is the Amen. He is the Beloved. He is the Branch. He is the Bread. He is the Bridegroom. He is the Blessed and Only Potentate. Who is He? He is the Cornerstone. He is the Christ. He is the Constellation of Israel. He is the Covenant. He is the Captain of our Salvation. You want to know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about the day spring. I'm talking about the door. I'm talking about the deliverer. I'm talking about the desire of all nations. Who am I talking about? We are Baptists tonight, aren't we? I'm talking about the elect. I'm talking about Emmanuel. I'm talking about the inside. I'm talking about the first begotten of the dead. I'm talking about a forerunner. I'm talking about a fountain and the foundation. The gift of God. The glory of God. The good master. The governor. I'm talking about the head. I'm talking about the heir of all things. I'm talking about the high priest. I'm talking about the holy one. I'm talking about the horn of salvation. I'm talking about I am. I'm talking about the image. Who is he? He's the Alpha and Omega. He is Jesus, Judge and Just One. He is King, King of Lord, King of Kings, and King over all the earth. He is the Lamb of God. He is a leader. He is life. He is life. He is Lamb. He is Lord. He is man. He is master. He is mediator. He is Messiah. He is the morning star. He is Nazarene. He's the offspring of David and the only begotten. He is Passover. 
You may not be enjoying it, but I'm having a good time with he that is the Passover. I'm having a good time with he that is the physician, the plan of renown, the power of God, prince, prophet, rabbi, rabboni, redeemer, resurrection, righteous judge, rock, root, rose, and ruler. He's sanctification. He's scepter. He's seed. He's servant. He's Shiloh. He's son. He's star. He's stone. He's surety. He's savior. He's teacher, true vine and truth. He's the very Christ, the way, the wisdom, the witness, the wonderful, and the word. He's a young child. Hallelujah. He's my blessed Lord that on April the 2nd, 1972, saved me by His marvelous grace. Who is He? He is the one that robed Himself in flesh like me and identified with me, but God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name. He is the worthy one. Give Him praise, bless God. Yes, He is. He is worthy. That in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of these days, Hitler will bow the knee. One of these days, Mussolini will bow the knee. One day, Stalin will bow the knee. I got good news for this world. One day, Bin Laden will bow the knee. One day Saddam Hussein will bow the knee. One day every liberal is going to bow the knee. One day every atheist is going to bow the knee. One day every agnostic is going to bow the knee. One day every infidel is going to bow the knee. One day every demon is going to bow the knee. And I want you to listen very, very closely. One day the devil himself will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Down from his glory, ever living story, my God and Savior came, and Jesus is his name.